Bonjour, Alex, and welcome to the next or latest wackadoo. So, I have decided to spend this episode talking a little bit about aromatherapy oils. I'll tell you about my exciting weekend, and then I wanted to do some stuff on French literature. So, um, as I talked about last week, I'm getting excited by aromatherapy because I work from my bedroom, I have a little desk, and I have been researching some of the scents. I have always had my sort of staples, which have been eucalyptus, frankincense and lavender oh and also sometimes rosemary but I didn't I wasn't I didn't know uh, about the qualities of all of them so I thought I'd go through them because maybe you don't know them and maybe you'd like to use them when you're working from home at your computer and maybe Ruthie would like them too so of you all we have the lavender and the chamomile which I'm sure you know are the calming ones and ylang ylang is also really good if you're tense and if you have trouble sleeping also if you're having panicky feelings or a rapid heartbeat so ylang ylang is the one to go if you're feeling really fluttery I didn't know that I might buy some ylang ylang frankincense which Ruth really likes is really good for immunity so I'm supposing as we get into the colder months and worrying about COVID and everything frankincense is good it's also good for digestion another one that's really good for antibacterial or antiseptic is eucalyptus but that's also eucalyptus is also really good for purifying the air and decongesting I'm sure you've used eucalyptus when you've got a kind of chesty cough so eucalyptus is good for antibacterial and decongestant but it's also good for concentration so if you're trying to study hard eucalyptus is a good one another good antiseptic one is cedarwood I'm not really sure I know what that smells like but maybe you like it um, and it's also good for focusing. So concentration and focus, think eucalyptus and cedarwood. So I mentioned that frankincense was good to, for digestion, so having it in the air and smelling that lovely air. The scent is good for digestion, as is rosemary. But rosemary is one of those ones that's going to kind of wake you up, revitalize you, uh, whereas frankincense, I think, is more calming. So if you want to go for the immunity and the digestion and the calming, I think frankincense. And if you want to go for the digestion, but the focus and revitalizing element, go for rosemary. I remember I used to have rosemary showers, scented showers, when I was finishing my PhD, and that was really invigorating. Uh, if you're thinking energy levels up, wanting your energy levels up, grapefruit is a really good one and that's supposed to also boost your mood and uh, kind of happiness smell uh, as is lemon verbena lemon that lemony scent so citrus is really good for bo boosting mood and uh, lemon and verbena is supposed to be good for creativity so when I'm writing maybe I should try some lemon verbena it's also good if you're anxious so that's a good combination when you're writing, really, because I find writing can sometimes be you've got to really focus and it can make you kind of wound up. So that's good. And bergamot is a good pick me up. So stimulating. So I guess bergamot is a bit like the, the citrus ones. So you go for the lavender, the camo, ylang ylang, eucalyptus for calming. And then you go for the citrus for that energizing. Uh, effect. Well, I thought I learned a lot. Maybe you already knew all that. 
I know mum loves my my mum your yeah yeah loves rose it's 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 really it's it's a beautiful scent it's very deep and uh calming there we go so now I thought I would tell you a little bit about my weekend so I as I mentioned <coughs> excuse me not covid cough I went to my friend's house in the country near London for the weekend socially distancing I had my own wing and we went for lots of nice walks and we made a meal together and we did a little home spa treatment and we just reminisced from our time in Oriel and it was wonderful and uh, one of the girls there she's a consultant oncologist so she works with cancer she specializes in breast cancer and she was doing medicine at Oriel with me and I, she was always amazing. And uh, I was very interested to learn about her, her job and what she does. And I just, I found it so inspiring and really moving how the compassion she has for her patients and the work that she does and the difference, the, the tangible difference she makes in their life. And um, it's, you know, it's quite a hard area to work in when you're dealing with people that have cancer and meta metastases and, you know end of life and helping them regulate their chemo and giving them drugs for that so it's it's an intense job but what I found amazing was how sort of blunt she is and frank about the important things at the same time as having this deep compassion and sensitivity and she was talking about the connections that she felt she made with her because to give the treatment, you have to have quite a big picture of their life and have to know what's going on and a big picture of their whole day to day and their family circumstances. So she, she gets and then, you know, she works with these patients for quite a long time often. So she really gets quite a, an intimate portrait into their insight into their lives. And to do that, whereas at the same time to take that sort of professional distance and think about treatment options and be the one that is the steady person, I think is really quite astounding. And of course she does get upset sometimes, but she gets lots of thank you letters and partners tell her how the people with cancer come in and, and, uh, and, and say that they really look forward to her appointments because she takes them seriously and she listens to their, them and she really helps guide them. And she doesn't give them false hope and sort of false positivity, but she's with them in that, as she calls it, that journey. And I found that so inspiring. And I know that you're interested in studying medicine. And I just thought about, I mean, whatever specialty it is, but just that difference you're making in someone's life and that human element that is needed. But she also talked about being scientifically fascinated by the actual work and that cancer is inherently interesting. Um, if, you know, if you take away the emotional side of it and just look at it from a scientific point of view. And I found that really interesting too like there's a side of it that is very mathematical and scientific and, and whatever and then there's that human component combined and yeah I, I suppose all medical disciplines have that component if there's a surgery there's the, the technical mechanical side to it but then of course there's all the studying that goes behind that and but you can't be a good well surgeons are a little a little different because people often say they have big egos but I don't think you know that's true is you can just be very 
confident. I think I think surgeons are known to be confident uh, because it's a big responsibility to go in there and cut people up, isn't it? But I, I wonder what other disciplines there are. We should talk to my friend if you're interested. You know, there's heart surgery. There's heart cardiothoracic. Uh, I know that Emily's husband works in hematology, so that's blood. There's thinking about you can work on bones, you can work on different organs, you can work on different diseases, you can work as a general practitioner, a GP. So, and I know that medical school, you do a kind of general overview, and then you start to specialize, and then you do rotation, so you do lots of different things. And there's emergency medicine as well, uh, there's sports medicine. So, yeah, there's so many different areas. And, uh, I find that I personally find it fascinating as well. I I like the responsibility as well that it involves. I've always liked to be at the head of something and and working on a team. I like that, but I also like being the one that has to make some decisions and take responsibility for that uh, whilst helping people. I find that and with teaching it's a bit like that as well you know you take responsibility you take the lead you're designing things you're but uh responsible for helping people but then in learn but then of course it's a little different with learning they have to sort of do the work themselves whereas I guess in medicine as the doctor you do the work investigating you provide the medical or the procedure uh help and then the body does the work so interesting anyway um i've still haven't finished my article i've still got footnotes to do on surgery in the 17th century so i really have to focus on that this afternoon i keep putting off finishing it so really must do that and uh as i said yesterday to you i've got the book pine sky so i look forward to having uh skype with you about that I did say I was going to talk about French literature today, so let's have a little, little segment. What I did was, what I was thinking about doing across these podcasts was talking about different authors I like and favourite poems or favourite plays across the different periods of literature. But before I did that, I thought it would be nice to give you a sort of overview of my learning journey in French. So I started French at the French International School, was actually very bad at it, didn't like it. We've had to draw out masculine, feminine, little man, a little a female with le and la. And I didn't understand the possessive pronouns, mon mame, ton tate, so she drew all that out. Didn't really pay attention in class because I didn't really understand what was going on. So I kind of lost track. We used to have these comic book stories in French with a tape and we used to listen to the tape. Didn't understand what was going on. So I would just make up the stories in my head. <laughs> didn't, couldn't, was not following the French. I had sport, uh, PE classes in French. Didn't understand a word. Gauche, droite. They were shouting French at me and all the French kids were like running around and I would just, I had a French friend, Charlotte, and she would, sort of guide me because I didn't have a clue so French was quite a difficult slightly traumatic thing for me 
And then I started to get better at it and something clicked. I was about 10 or 11, I think. And then I got in, put into the top set, top group for French. And I just we was really getting to grips with the grammar and doing well. And, it, and I was really enjoying it. And then I moved to England, where my high school French teacher, Mr. Miller, was this most incredibly inspiring teacher. His wife was French, and although he was Scottish, his mastery of French was absolutely incredible. People at French embassies thought French people thought he was French. That's how good his accent was. He sat. He he was. He sounded totally French, and that was really inspiring for me, a non-native speaker, to have that level of French. And I really thought yeah, if I could one day get to that level and, and that was really motivating for me. He also, he taught us the base, the things we needed to know for the exam, but he went so beyond that. So we were watching French films, listening to French music. Um, and he had, we had a, there was a store, like a storeroom book cupboard and we could choose any of the texts we wanted as a kind of extra leisure pursuit. So I got interested in French poetry. Jacques Prévert is a really good introduction to French poems. They're quite simple. So, you know, you can follow the language at, you know, 13, 14, but there it's really, really lyrical and, a lot of children in French schools, they learn those poems off by heart when they're growing up. So Jacques Prévert was a really nice entry into French, reading French. And also I, there was Molière, who I, is 17th century comedy, who I, of course, love now and work on and research on. But uh, his plays are accessible even at a young age. And you can also read some in translation. So I read a few Molière plays. And then I got interested in, on Mr. Miller's recommendation, Les Fleurs du Mal by Charles Baudelaire. Charles Baudelaire is a great, if you like, uh, slightly edgy, gothic, um, angst-ridden, dark, sort of like metal music but in poetry. So he's a 19th century poet who wrote about sin and lust and uh, the city and betrayal and drugs and wine and decadence. And Les Fleurs du Mal is his kind of journey through evil. Um, but he believed that poetry and words could transform the ugliness of the world, the mud of the world, la boue, into something of great beauty. So hence this juxtaposition between les fleurs du mal, the flowers blossoming, beautiful, and du mal, of evil. So it's, it's an interesting title, The Flowers of Evil. And each little poem in this collection is like a little flower that makes up this bouquet. So it really needs to be studied, you know, in the same way that one flower in a bouquet might be pretty. It's really in the in the globality of it, in the whole ensemble of the of the bouquet that you can see its whole, whole beauty all designed and put together. And Le Fleur du Mal sort of charts a journey from his of his degradation and guilt and obsessions uh, through through the the beauty that is poetry, 
And some of them, that makes it sound very grandiose and intense, but actually there's a lot of humor and a lot of irony and poetic playfulness as well in the works. Uh, maybe I could read some of my favorite poems to you uh, on another episode. The first poem that sort of liminal introductory poem is one of the most famous in French literature. It's dedicated to the reader and we could talk about that in another episode. And my other favorite one is one about a rotting carcass, which is a sort of parody of a love poem where normally in, in a standard love poem or a sonnet, for example, you would say, oh, my beautiful one, I want to praise you. I want to praise your beautiful face. And your and this is my beautiful love, you. I saw a rotting carcass and it made me think of you. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's perverse and funny and uh, brilliantly put together. So I could talk about that in another episode. So that's 19th century poetry. Uh, and uh, as I said, I'm also very interested in 17th century po poetry. So at A-level, I studied some French literature, French. I studied Camus, uh, who's a 20th century writer who writes about the philosophy of the absurd, which I can talk about in another episode. He, and he wrote what has now become a hugely popular book because of COVID called La Peste. La Peste, it means the plague. And his book is about the plague, the bubonic plague, coming into the city in um, Algeria, in Algeria, and the effect it has on this town and the lockdown and these rats coming in and the people are dying and uh because we've all been in in this plague-ridden pandemic this book has become popular and it's on lots of reading lists now and obviously there are translations of it and sales are going through the roof of this book by by albert camus who wrote quite a number of other things probably his most famous book being something called l'étranger the outsider which uh, is, a, is a magnificent book and deserves a different another episode of its own. So I did La Peste, and I also think, I did, yes, I did another, a Molière play, Le Bourgeois Gentilhomme, and if you remember the Mama Mucci, which we did a few Christmases ago together, that's from Le Bourgeois Gentilhomme. So. Um, and I also did a short novel called Le Grand Meule, which I actually hated, which is about this boy who had this friend and it, it was kind of a twee book. I didn't enjoy it. Anyway, at university, got to, to university and I chose the course I did because it had a, a heavy focus on French literature. Some courses in language do more focus on business French or communication uh, or politics, but I was interested in, in pursuing the literary option as well as mastering the linguistic skills. So I spent a lot of my time reading books in French. Uh, I also did, as you know, I did Italian, but I'm just going to talk about the French at university today. So French at university meant that, and, and this is quite usual for courses, you have compulsory courses in the first year, which is a kind of introduction to different centuries and different kinds of novels and works. And then in second year, you start to specialise in the things you're more interested in and can pick optional papers. I don't know if it's the same in America, but that's how it works in England. 
so in my first year we had it was called I can't actually remember the name of the course but it was sort of introduction to French texts uh, and there was a series of short texts from across the centuries so 16th century we had short stories short story essays they were uh, from uh, a writer called Montaigne and Montaigne is a uh, very famous and an incredible writer. And I will talk about that in another episode. But so I worked on a short story by Montaigne, who's, who's the spelling is quite difficult when you are studying French because it's diff, it's not standard spelling like of modern French, but in terms of vocabulary, it's not that difficult. But Montaigne, the essay we wrote was about cannibals. He writes about going on this journey or knowing about this tribe of cannibals uh, in South America and the point of the story is really that we imagine we are civilized and that these cannibals are these base barbaric people but actually the cannibals reveal themselves to have a complicated system so it's kind of has an anthropological element to it we can look at that in another episode but anyway so I read Montaigne et les cannibales and then I read, that was 16th century, 17th century, what did we have? Did we have anything from the 17th century? No. We had, uh, 18th century, we had Voltaire, who's a great philosopher and wrote wonderful short stories. So we had Candide by Voltaire. Oh, yes, we did. 17th century, we had a play by Racine, who's the great tragedian of the, one of the great tragedians of the 17th century. Phaedre is his most famous play about a queen who falls in love with her stepson and is traumatized by this incestuous desire. And it's based on, the, on a Greek myth. So I read that. Uh, it's, a, it's quite a short play. It's in verse. It's, uh, and it's magnificent. And I, I will devote one episode to that. So you can see I'm still very, very excited about these texts. So 17th century was fed. And then 18th century was Voltaire, uh, Candide. And then 19th century was Les Fleurs du Mal. We had lots of those poems. And then 20th century was... Uh, oh, we also had novels, but I'll come to that later. Um, 20th century, we had... Césaire, Aimé Césaire, who is um, a writer from the Caribbean and he was most famous for introducing this movement Negritude about black identity and uh, it's fascinating and very difficult poem to understand. It's sort of stream of consciousness. And I found it very, very difficult, as did my best friend Rowan. So those were the some of the texts we did. Uh, I realised there were others in the first year, which I can talk about in another episode, because you're probably getting overloaded. And so alongside those texts, then I had the equivalent in Italian. And then I also had to do translation work, and I had to do uh, grammar, and I had to do... And every week I had to write an essay on on the, one of the French texts and a, an essay on one of the Italian texts. So I had two essays a week, plus all my classes. And I spent most of my time in the library. I think I had 12 hours of lectures a week. So it's not that much contact time. Um, and then tutorials, which are these 
exciting things were and quite nerve-wracking at the beginning where and that's unique to the Oxbridge system in that you have very small groups so you usually are just you and the and the tutor or or you and your tutorial partner and the tutor so a group of three or two um, where you would read out your essay and then discuss uh, discuss the issues surrounding it and that would happen on a weekly or bi-weekly process uh, and then you later you could have seminar groups as well which I think is something that you're going to explore in your t in your learning with a small group of four or five that you start on Monday so it's like a seminar it's like a university seminar setup which I think is really exciting so this is probably the longest podcast I've done as yet uh, I'm going to stop now and I hope you enjoyed my sort of overview of French, studying French, my talking about my friend doing medicine, and of course, my summary of aromatherapy oils that I'm going to test out. Je t'aime très fort. Bisous, bisous. Bye.